one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We lost Antonio Inoki not too long ago, an absolute pioneer of wrestling around the world. It doesn't really do him justice. There's not really that. there's not really anything you can say. Like he he's in a league of his own. Uh he's done almost everything. Uh really tried to popularize as best he could the you know the the mixture of martial arts and wrestling. Uh probably one of the godfathers of MMA in that respect. Uh you know, founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> Uh, unrecognized WWF champion. It, it list goes on and on and on and, and on. All of politician, that. politician. <laughs> Lest we forget, we're going to get into all of that because we're going to get into some of the craziest Antonio Inoki stories. Yeah, that you may or may not have heard. Yeah. So the the whole thing with Inoki is he's sort of been everywhere, done everything, uh, and and there's just a lot of very humorous tales. Of his adventures through the years. The best way I saw it described on Twitter was Antonio Noki was like Chuck Norris, but all the facts are real. Yeah. And, it, and as you're going to find out over the course of this video, it's very much the case. You're going to hear some <laughs> stories that you may know already. You may hear some stories that you didn't even know were a thing, but they are all very true. Let's paint the picture first of all. Who is, who was Antonio Inoki, Sam Driver? So, uh, Kanji Inoki was born into an affluent family in Yokohama on February 20th, 1943. He was the sixth son of seven boys, along with three daughters, and his dad, who was a businessman and a politician, sadly passed away when he was just five years old. Uh, sixth grade, he was taught karate by one of his older brothers, but by the time he moved to seventh grade, he was uh, five foot eleven and then joined the school basketball team because of his height. Uh, he then moved into track and field, winning his first championship of many at a Yokohama Junior High School track and field competition. And then following the desolation of Japan in World War II, his family fell on hard times, like many Japanese families in their position. They then decided to move to Brazil in order to work in the booming coffee industry. Uh, he, his grandfather, mother, and brothers all went. Uh, his grandfather sadly passed away during the journey. Anoki would then continue to win regional 
regional track and field championships in Brazil for shot put, discus and javelin, as well as the all-Brazilian championships in shot put and discus. So started off as uh, an, an athlete really, track and field, shot put, javelin, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And then he ends up in the world of wrestling. So how does he end up there? Well, at the age of 17 in Brazil, he met somebody called Ricky Dozan. Uh, Now, Ricky Dozan's his own fascinating, tragic wrestling figure, but he's indisputably the father of pro wrestling in Japan. He was a Korean immigrant, uh, and Ricky Dozan was a sumo wrestler who would transition out of that sport into what would become pro wrestling in Japan. Now, in sumo, he was the rank of Sekiwake, which is one or two ranks from the top of the Makuchi division, which is the top division in the country. Uh, the ranks from bottom to top in the division are Megashira, Komasubi, Sekiwake, Ozeki, and Yokozuna, although Yokozuna is technically still Ozeki. The thing is here, though, there were several factors in sumo, even to this day, that can sort of limit a performer's ceiling. Uh, and one of those things uh, was kind of seen as him being a little bit too successful for his humble origins. Uh, there were elements of anti-Korean racism that maybe stifled some of his attempts to, to move further up in the sumo world. Uh, and then there was also uh, a bit of a falling out he had, I believe, over a financial matter with someone in his stable, which led to him leaving the sport. Uh, he then went on to join the black market, selling the possessions of American soldiers that were moving to Korea. Uh, he went through several other odd jobs that led to him becoming associated with some members of the underground, uh, the criminal underground in Japan. Uh, and then this would lead to him using his ex-sumo status to uh, join a charity tour that was going to be happening in Japan. Now, the Shriners, uh, you know the Shriners with the little cars, raise a lot of money for kids? I've seen them, yes. So the Shriners in Japan wanted to do a bit of a charity wrestling tour, and they were going to book Americans to come over, and of course they would need some national talent, maybe. Uh, and so there was a handful of Japanese talent that were picked to kind of be part of the tour. Riki Dozan was one of these people. He got a month of training, uh, and then he would push forward into superstardom, the likes that I don't even think Hulk Hogan reached. <laughs> uh, it's quite it's quite something, but he defeat American after American, and of course, in that time, he became a national hero for standing up to them on behalf of the nation, uh, and he even had some moderate success as a heel in the USA. Now, upon meeting Anoki, Riki Dozan was like, oh, pretty good track and field athlete. You should come back to Japan with me and train. So he became sort of a disciple of Riki Dozan, went with him everywhere he went, got trained by him, and then in 1962, he'd received the ring name Antonio in order to exoticize his origin and perhaps endear him to his adopted Brazilian uh, home. Ah. Uh, However, on his excursion to the US, he was also given the names Tokyo Tom and Little Tokyo, the latter which is quite ironic considering the man was a literal skyscraper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But from there, he he was part of Riki Dozan's um, company, which was JWA. He became part of a successful tag team with Giant Baba called the B.I. Cannon. Uh, Riki Dozan then dies in a rather horrible manner in which he is stabbed by someone over a minor disagreement outside a nightclub. I believe the man stepped on his shoes. This leads to blows. The guy pulls a knife. Riki Dozan attempts to apologize. uh, And then from there, it kind of gets to a point where he doesn't accept the apology. Riki Dozan ends up mounting him on the floor, just punching him. The guy stabs him. Riki Dozan goes to hospital. Doctor's like, it's not life-threatening, but you need surgery. Undergoes surgery. Comes out of the surgery, and he's told not to drink 
keeps on drinking because he had a little bit of a problem. Uh, and then after he died, which came basically as a result of the drinking that led to a secondary surgery, uh, and then that led to him developing an illness, which cost him his life, uh, there was a bit of a coup attempt with Anoki trying to lead some of the talent to uh, take over the JWA. Now, mm. this was ratted out on, and Anoki was forced to leave, and he would form, uh, well, Baba would stay, but Anoki would go, and Anoki would form New Japan Pro Wrestling, and then Baba would leave and form All Japan Pro Wrestling, and then JWA would die a death. But we're going to get into some really ridiculous things Anoki did, and maybe his mentor might have had a bit of bearing on it. Oh, um, yeah, just a bit. So, he, Riki Dozan had a thing called Riki Mansion, which was a luxury luxurious apartment in uh, Akasaka, Tokyo, with a giant R on all sides of the building. It's a Mr. Uh, Burns type thing to have, yeah. isn't it? I, he had a, I love it. He had something called the Riki Sports Palace in Shibuya, Tokyo, which included a bowling alley, a pool room, a bar called Club Riki, and a <laughs> restaurant called Riki Restaurant. This should, we should do a video on, on Riki Doza. <laughs> yeah, we should. Uh, before he died, he bought land that he was going to turn into a giant lakeside country club, which was going to feature a shooting range, an indoor ice rink, and a hotel. Like, he was literally that rich. He was that, uh, that powerful and that much of a celebrity uh, he would apparently sometimes leave matches in full gear go to one of his bars sit down and then remark to the staff that it was a bit of a rough day at work while he's just bleeding all over the floor <laughs> uh, and people are just kind of looking at him like what uh, he'd insist his wife would carry a firearm wherever she went he regularly played shogi which is Japanese chess basically against a professional grade player uh, if his he... wife with a firearm behind him <laughs> probably uh, if he felt good on a certain day when he was drinking he might leave up to 10,000 yen as a tip which adjusted for inflation is about 350 quid not nice. bad uh but if he didn't feel good which was most days he would often just start bar fights with anybody that he could uh and he would almost expose the business regularly uh because he would be seen battering somebody and then fans would be going out for a drink after the matches and there he is with his opponent sharing a nice drink uh so it led to a lot of questions from the press but basically yeah that that's kind of the the origin of where Antonio Inoki started. This is your mentor. Where he came from. This is his mentor. This is the person that saw something in him that would lead to... I mean, Christ, Riki Dozan had basically single-handedly built the Japanese professional wrestling industry re well, with the help of a lot of people. But as the main attraction, you know, he was kind of the, the Hogan figure. Uh, and he just, you know, he knew he needed to build more talent. Somebody like Inoki with that background. Works really well. Absolutely. Now, Inoki, as you say, would uh, go on to uh, to be part of New Japan Pro Wrestling, to form New Japan Pro Wrestling, and form the International Wrestling Grand Prix. As well as the Inoki Genome Foundation and a lot of other things that are nice when I say this, but maybe a little bit crap. They, they <laughs> didn't quite work out how they were supposed to. <laughs> but then, you know what? It's it's one for trying, and he tried a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, one of the first stories that I want to bring up about Inoki. It's one that people probably have heard about, probably don't know everything about. And, and it's Inoki and Muhammad Ali. I think yeah. we have to start with, we, st we start soft. We're kind of doing an iceberg. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are doing an iceberg of, of Antonio Inoki. Uh, the whole thing coming about because Muhammad Ali in his pomp, in his heyday, uh, all the catchphrases and all the fight skills, uh, wanted to challenge an Oriental fighter to a contest. Which and is not a term that should be used anymore. Absolutely. 
Apparently was, not, that but that was the, was the terminology. That was used in the quote. That was the terminology that was used in the quote. And he said that he wanted to challenge said fighter and offered $1 million to do so. Uh, and he said he could beat anybody in a mixed martial arts challenge. He's mm-hmm. the best boxer in the world. Ah, I can wrestle. I can Which, do Which, to be fair, if I was Muhammad Ali, I'd probably think the same. Yeah. I mean, you're Muhammad Ali. It's like being the rock, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Inoki uh, said, oh, look, I'm not going to choose somebody for it, but I tell you what, how about you fight me? How about we make it six million? And then I'm in. So it ended up with Ali and Enoki making a lot of money to participate in what was supposed to be an exhibition. We saw the build up to this and mm-hmm. there was all the smack talk that you would expect. Uh, Muhammad Ali referring to uh, Enoki on many occasions in these presses as a pelican, because obviously that pronounced chin. Not just pronounced chin. Can we just also say, I mean, just just the greatest chin the in world history. Chin. Not even, like, you could cut glass with it. Could you imagine getting, like, chin-butted by it? Knock you out. (laughs) I feel scared, and that's just a picture (laughs) behind us, if you're watching on the YouTube channel. Uh, Ali had been watching Inoki training for this fight and seen him absolutely punishing sparring partners with his wrestling uh, nous. And Ali was like, oh, actually, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> He's going to have my <laughs> life. Anoki <laughs> uh, uh, declared that this shouldn't be a, a worked wrestling match. And it, it shouldn't have be been. A... No, absolutely It shouldn't have not. been, but Ali wanted it. <laughs> yeah, it should be a real fight. And at which point, Ali's side, his team said, all right, we need to change some of these rules a little bit. There were very specific rules uh, that both men say, in hindsight, limited their expertise. Uh, the match that we got, uh, 14,000 people rocked up for uh, the Budokan. And it was, whilst it is a piece of wrestling history. It's a very important piece of wrestling history. Uh, it, 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 you know, it opened doors to a lot of conversations that would, again, you know, as I said earlier, Antonio Inoki, one of the driving factors, I believe, in the, the foundation of MMA as, you know, a, an actual sort of, regulated sport like mm. a, a thing that exists in a, an official capacity i guess but the but the fight itself featured um ali keeping his distance from inoki take trying to do takedowns yeah uh, and as the, the rules are stipulated that was something that ali was able to do and inoki eventually realizing that i'm not gonna be able to get close to this guy to do a takedown i've got a strategy i'm gonna lie on the ground like, like an overturned turtle. Like an overturned turtle. <laughs> and I'm just going to kick him. Which, to be fair, one of the shots he gets in on one of the knees is just, oh, just, oh. Ali admitted in an interview afterwards, <laughs> yeah, my legs are hurting yeah. after that one. And this was the match. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny to read about it and, and see bits of it in hindsight because it is remembered as something that's so iconic. Mm. But when the fight ended and it was announced that it was a draw... There was garbage pelted into the ring. People Which, were upset. That- you know, you, you'd seen Antonio Inoki tear through people, like mm. tear them apart with his prowess of, of, you know, legitimate striking, grappling. The guy is a martial arts machine. You know, you, you want to watch him do what he does best, but all of a sudden he's forced to kind of just lie on his back because of some stupid rules. Mm. Uh, when we could have had something as exciting as Ali going in for a punch, maybe landing a few, and then Inoki just kind of going, <laughs> and just tearing his arm off, which of course you couldn't have. So it was just a foolish thing that shouldn't have really ever happened. But the spectacle of it alone, mm. it's so tantalizing that it couldn't not be a big deal. It got the wrestling world talking <clears throat> about New Japan Pro Wrestling as mm. well as a result. And as a, as still a sort of fledgling and company at that point. I believe the promoter behind Ali uh, Anoki was Vince McMahon. 
he was involved. Yeah. And yeah, because it was, well, why wouldn't that? It's got Vince McMahon's <laughs> fingerprints all over it. And it wouldn't be the end of Vince McMahon's involvement in in Antonio Inoki's career uh, because uh, he initiated a talent swap initiative between the mm. WWF and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, this would see Inoki uh, wrestling on WW in Madison Square Garden for the mm -hmm. very first time, which was which is weird to watch on the Madison Square Garden network, like Inoki in there. It's incredible. And it would see Bob Backlund go to New Japan and compete at the Summer Fight Series in mm -hmm. 1978. And this is where there is this amazing little bit of history that starts from this point. We we had a one-hour time limit draw between Backlund and Inoki at this at this point, and it led to a rematch, which actually saw with the with as a result of interference from Tiger Jeet Singh, it saw Antonio Inoki beat Bob Backlund to become the WWF champion. And and this is one of these things that's talked about in wrestling now. That it's I just whipped out Wikipedia and he's not on the list, so you're a liar. No, what? You're a liar, Tom. No. He, he's not on the list. He was. It was in <laughs> November 30th, 1979. He beat him there. 30 minutes and an attempted running from Jeet Singh. Uh, saw Inoki getting a back suplex and beat him and everything. Uh, and... Uh, they would have a rematch again in Japan six days later. Mm -hmm. Bob Backlund was like, no, there was cheating. I want a rematch. Yeah. Same thing happened again. Tiger Jeet Singh gets involved. What's uh, he bloody like? What eh? is he like? <laughs> uh, uh, but this time, Backlund was able to push through the distraction and pick up a win over Inoki. But WWF president at, the mo at that time, uh, Hisashi Shinma who was also in the pocket with New Japan Pro Wrestling, mm -hmm. went, no, I'm overturning that. Because it was a run-in. Inoki keeps the belt. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and Inoki was the one that went, no, no. It's Inoki refused to accept that he was still the champion. Backlund mm. beat him fair and square. And Backlund returned to the US with the championship. And in, they Nothing said, Nothing oh. was ever said about it and again. it was never mentioned. I think it was, <laughs> I think it was until Pro Wrestling Illustrated did a... Like a big showcase on it. What yeah. many years later, and they went. You realise the title changed hands in Japan. What? Mm. Couldn't do that these days, could you? There's a lot of shots of him with the belt, celebrating, holding yeah. it up with it around his waist and everything. I love the. I love the idea of because uh, one of the things that's been mentioned a few times is now that Triple H is is running WWE, yeah. one of the things that Triple H has the power to do is to retcon that and put Inoki <laughs> as an official <laughs> WWF title holder. If you get out your nice stationery and write him a, a handwritten letter, mm. I think that might be the only way it could happen. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? But it's all—it's between while all this is happening, Vince McMahon wants to pay homage to Inoki. Mm. And it's while this back and forth is going on with Bob Backlund uh, that he is awarded the WWWF Martial Arts Championship. Yeah. Uh, I did a whole showcase on this on the Coltolic podcast feed, which you can find where we go into the, 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 the lore and the history of the Martial Arts Championship. And it was wasn't really about that really anyone knew what to do with but it was like a it was a, it was a bridge it was the bifrost that connected <laughs> the WWWF and New Japan yeah. Pro Wrestling I think it would become a belt circulated within New Japan many years later oh yeah you can you you can see it looking really out of place time wise like mm. design wise in in some footage where it just looks like it's it's a relic from the past like it's time warped there somehow <laughs> We have got wild stories of Inoki to get to, but I do want to end on one because what's <clears> happened <throat> is, is when one of the reasons why I want to see this video as well, because when Inoki passed, yeah. we saw lots of videos get shared online of mm. key moments from Inoki's life. And we kind of wanted to add a little bit of history and a little bit of backstory yeah. to them. And you may have seen uh, footage of a match between Antonio Inoki 
and the great Antonio. This is low-key one of my favourite matches of all time. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. It's, it's, it's something you could show to anybody who's like, it's not real. And it's like, it can turn very real very quickly. Oh, it certainly can. And it did. <laughs> uh, it's Antonio uh, Baricevic, I hope I pronounced that right, who was uh, from Yugoslavia, moved to Canada when he was 20 mm -hmm. and made uh, a very dominating career as a strongman in Canada. Uh, he's in the, he was in the Guinness Book of Records, I think back in, uh, back in sort of the 60s because he pulled a 433-ton train, 20 metres. Strong boy. <laughs> strong the boys uh when antonio got into the wrestling malarkey he was turning heads he turned to heads in japan and he went on a tour of japan before he had this match with Inoki. yeah um i don't know how much you know about it this was tour. disastrous it was yeah. a nightmare for him <laughs> he, he had an attitude problem it oh, needed beating out of him and it got beat out of him and then he got home and it returned <laughs> that was it because the hope was like by the time 1977 rolled around yeah. and he'd been he'd had this disastrous tour of japan he thought maybe he maybe a bit of humbling yeah, uh, it occurred, and so An Anoki, looking for like a new monster to face him, went, "Hey, get on over here mm. again! You're still an intimidating, imposing figure." So they set um, a match up. Actually, they had they had two matches, mm. uh, which is less forgotten because when Antonio when when the great Antonio came back to Japan, he won like some three on one and five on one handicap matches. Just, yeah. to, just in case you're not sure, this guy is a strong lad. Then they had a match against Inoki, which uh, Antonio won by DQ. So therefore, they set up for like a showdown on December the eighth, nineteen seventy seven, and this is the match that everyone remembers. It's glorious. Infamy. It, 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 not a lot happens. Inoki starts off. Antonio's kind of selling. He's doing a bit of rocking back and forth. And then, yeah, you'll keep slapping his belly with Puts both me hands. on the belly. As okay. in, like, you're not going to knock me over. I'm massive. <laughs> I'm a unit. I'm strong. And then after about three or four attempts of this, Anoki's like, go down. Go down. All right, if you're not going to go down, I'm going to make you go down. And it gets very brutal. Anoki uh, starts striking him. It ends with him just by the ropes getting his head stamped on. Oh, my god! Uh, and he's just pouring with blood. <laughs> It's just this massive imposing figure who just decided I'm I'm better than Inoki. I'm not going to sell any of this. And like you say, once and you can see when you watch the video, you can see There's the this moment. look of disbelief on his face. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> do you know the situation you're in right now? Do and not do this. There was one strike I think that he landed in Inoki. You can see in Inoki's eyes, like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> takedown just <laughs> kicks him the, the kicks the bejesus out of him the match is stopped Anoki wins it's, it's horrible it's but horrible. It, it's, it is it is beautiful in its own way i think simply because it's like well it's what happens like you know you you can't get in there at that level at that stage at that time against somebody like Anoki who takes this very seriously, very, very seriously, and takes just everything he does within the business very seriously, you can't get in there and start trying to just riff off him. No way! You can't get in there and start just no-selling. You, you can't start trying to change the plan and throw in strikes. Like, you're going to get beat. <laughs> Uh, doesn't matter how big you are. And that was kind of the end of sort of the great Antonio from there. Like, yeah. there was, it was really sad because in researching this video, we found out like in 2002, he kind of mm. gets named on a list of like Canada's 
uh, Canada's favorite weirdos. Yeah. And there's video of footage of him just looking very disheveled in a bus station. Mm. And apparently he'd walk around with like a bag full of paper clippings, like newspaper clippings. Yeah. And he would talk to anybody that would listen about like his days as a strong man and oh, stuff like that. Man. It was a real fall for him. Um, I'm That's not saying horrible. if he played with a note. I feel with... bad now, Tom, you know for what? saying that I enjoyed watching him get the crap beaten but out of him. He had an issue. He was there. We needed Umbling and Anoki. Like, why would you cross Anoki? What are you thinking? The thing that what I love about Anoki and in researching him is the amount of things that he kind of kicked off by accident. Yeah. Um, there's a, there, there's a, a, a thing that came up when I was looking this up, and you mentioned this about how Inoki accidentally invented a Street Fighter character. Uh, yeah, there was there was talk of him bringing in, uh, I can't remember which talent it was, but he brought somebody into the company and then that led to essentially uh, the, the creation of Zangief. Yes, so like, it was Red Cyclone as was he was it. better known. And he was a character that, that Inoki had just really taken to and it took him under his wing. So mm. much so that it led to like he got a lot of love and Zangief is modelled on him. So there's Inoki <laughs> just accidentally inventing Zangief yeah. from Street Fighter. Um, he also accidentally caused a major um, a major rise in the wrestling scene in Pakistan. Well, Kind of, sort of. So Pakistan has its own wrestling scene. It, it's a, like an amateur wrestling scene. It, it's competed in like a mud ring, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's 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 very traditional. Uh, there isn't really or wasn't really uh, a major pro wrestling type, you know, boom over there that I was reading about. Uh, but apparently when... <laughs> When this sport kind of got big enough in Pakistan to the point where it was almost like a national sport, uh, we had Akram Palawan, who was the most prominent wrestler in Pakistan in the 60s, and he competed in that style of wrestling. Uh, so it was multiple championships he'd won all over South Asia, Singapore, and Malaysia. And in 1976, he was well past his prime, and his managers, the Bolu brothers, booked the biggest fight in the country's history by pitting him against Antonio Anoki. Someone's up, someone who's up for any challenge. <laughs> any challenge. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter how or why, he's there, he's just going to do it. Uh, but both parties had agreed to contest the match under a professional wrestling format, uh, which kind of led to a predetermined result. Uh, before the fight, it was announced that the match would be held under special rules. Special rules. Uh, due to multiple reasons, such as Akram's lack of understanding of professional wrestling and the miscommunication between the two competitors, it very quickly turned from a work into a shoot about midway through. Uh, there was scratching and punches and kicks and even biting. Uh, and that all led to a very abrupt finish where Anoki broke his arm with a wrist lock. And <laughs> uh, a PTV report of protest taking place outside the National Stadium in Karachi as the local fans were enraged by the hometown hero's loss. He refused and, to tap out, which is yeah, what it was. And, and there's, there's, there's theories that maybe this was done because he was kind of at the end of his career. There was theories building in Pakistan where maybe that was the intended finish. Even though everybody involved that, that was not the intended finish. It went wrong. Uh, but there was this sort of a theory where like he can't give up. So the only way to end that match would be to break his arm. 
and then he hasn't given up and he's valiantly fought but now he can no longer fight and so there's a bit of a conspiracy around that. You'd think that would have been the end of it, though, after all of the things that had kicked off coming out the back end of the match. But no, yep. he went back to Pakistan a few years later to face up-and-comer Zubaya Jara Pelawan at Gaddafi Stadium in Lahore. Uh, there were 3,000 fans packed 30, in to see it. Sorry, 30,000, not three. What am I saying? <laughs> 30,000 fans That's packed That's a phenomenal amount of people to watch wrestling in Pakistan at this point. A 25-minute competitive match then went to a time-limit draw, but then Anoki forfeited the match at that point to award the win to him. Uh, Anoki's presence plus his training of his nephew, or Jara's nephew, sorry, Haroom Abid in 2014, put Pakistan wrestling scene so put Pakistan's wrestling scene back on the map and it's hopefully going to lead to, you know, maybe a bit of a boom there because if you've got a nation that's sort of already into one type of wrestling, maybe you can kind of tempt them across to something that's a little bit different. But at the same time, I just love that they've got their own thing going on and and it's just very traditional and yeah. In, it he, looks horrible. It looks like you really get hurt, like real bad. It looks like the type of stuff you'd see when it's like, oh, George, like, you know, Hackenschmidt versus God, like whatever. You, you're just watching all of this footage of just two blokes in a field beating each other. <laughs> Absolutely merciless. Uh, it, it's, it kind of feels like that. <laughs> Accidentally inventing a Street Fighter character. Accidentally kicking off uh, a wrestling boom in Pakistan. Accidentally starting a riot. Is another one of Anoki's uh, yeah. things. He's very, he's, he hangs <laughs> out on his hat. Uh, we, we spin forward a little bit in our timelines of the late 80s, and it's Antonio Anoki once again looking for a monster mm-hmm. to square up to, and he finds one when All Japan uh, trades Leon White to New Japan, mm-hmm. and they come up with a, a, a persona and Sorry, identity. That's for former him. professional football player Leon oh, White. Apologies. God, what is that? What else is he going to be known for? <laughs> come on, just being a lovely man. <laughs> Uh, they came up with this. Uh, they came up with the with the persona Big Van Vader, mm-hmm. and it's and it's deeply rooted in Japanese folklore. Yeah, people thought immediately when you see the big kind of entrance gear uh, that he had over there and everything with the steam, uh, you you think it, it's quite Darth Vadery because he's coming out. He's quite an intimidating presence with this big sort of silvery black mask on. Uh, but no, it's it, it sort of uh, as you said, it's linked more to tradition, isn't well, it? Well, he said on the Cult of Whatever podcast, not a he said the Iron Mask was something the Japanese came up with. It's nothing to do with Darth Vader out of Star Wars. It's actually a samurai headgear and defensive wear for the shoulders and the chest. In Japanese folklore, to settle disputes, the strongest men from villages would go to an island and do battle. And Vader was given the title of Emperor's Warrior. Antonio Inoki, after watching me wrestle, came up to me and gave me the Iron Mask and made him sort of Emperor's Warrior and was introduced as the, the, the crown jewel uh, of uh, of. Takeshi's Puro Resu Gundan affiliate group, uh, managed uh, by uh, Takeshi Kitano. Yes. Get these wrong, please tell me. Um, and we got Vader and Oki from there. But and... there's an interesting little tidbit there because Takeshi Kitano isn't just anybody. He is a big, big deal in Japan. A and that's, very and that's big a deal. big deal for Leon White. Yeah, so he's a famous Japanese comedian turned art uh, 
actor, director, video game developer, author, lots of things. He's done a lot of stuff. Uh, he's someone that millions of people will know. Even if you'd never heard of him, you've probably seen him at some point. Uh, but as a comedian, he was a member of the Man's Eye duo 2Beat. And Man's Eye is basically, uh, can you imagine like an old couple bickering about something nonsensical? That kind of speed and pace of snappiness and bouncing off each other, it's that kind of humor. It's very quick. It's very articulate. Uh, they were known for being a bit more risque, so he was very popular because of that. And he was known for being a bit edgy, so it made sense he'd be leading a stable that was going to try and bring down New Japan. Um, but as a TV host, this is where people might know him best from. Uh, he was Takeshi in Takeshi's Castle. Ah! Yeah. He's that Takeshi! Yeah, I believe he came up with the show concept as well. Wow. I think he wanted a real-life Super Mario Brothers, which he achieves 100%. Nice. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's Count Takeshi. Well... There you go. <laughs> That's blown my mind. That's yeah. something new I've learned today. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Uh, so the real Takeshi's castle, uh, from there to the, the the White Castle of Doom, that is Big Van Vader. That's a weird crossover of the reference. We'll take it. So Vader and Inoki goes down December 27th. Sumo Hall in Tokyo is sold out. Uh, in the run-up to this, uh, Vader challenging Inoki, who had already defeated Ricky Chosu, uh, and uh, this was short and mm -hmm. aggressive and not what you think because Inoki just got battered by Big Van Vader. Yeah, but you, you kind of need to establish Vader as a monstrous oh, force. absolutely. And that would follow him round for years, wouldn't it? Like... It was uh, it was uh, just a mauling by Vader, mm. and within just a couple of minutes, Big Van Vader uh, pinned Antonio Inoki, his first loss in, I think, two years. Only a second loss in ten. Yeah, but it didn't end there. So Ooh. after the match, they decided to further the onslaught a little bit to add insult to injury and really whip the fans up into a fervor because they all really, really like Anoki. <laughs> uh, so fans just watched on as Vader continued to beat on Anoki in the corner after the bell, uh, and they were really angry, like white heat level. Uh, he claims in his book that there was a briefing with Anoki backstage before the match, and he had specific instructions on how Anoki wanted the bout to transpire. He said, this is what I want. I want you to just rush in after the match, punch me in the face just as hard as you can. Now, I don't want you to knock me out, but I want you to break my nose and cut my lip. Whatever you need to do. You're a monster. <laughs> he then went on to say, we knew the audience was not going to like it, but we had no idea to what extent of dislike we would get. Usually Japanese fans are very reserved, but not on this night. I ended Anoki's streak in the most horrible way they could imagine, and this action led to the Anoki fans to riot. They wanted blood, my blood. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. With Inoki, he was always one for for creating new stars as and where he could, mm-hmm. to the point where like him merely striking you was a way of establishing you. And yeah. this this brings us to uh, another another crazy story about Inoki, which is the fact that his strikes imbued you with the power of Inoki. Yes, if he is to hit you, he will fill you with his fighting spirit. Uh, now, this happened to almost every newcomer in New Japan, uh, and he would just, yeah, just slap him. <laughs> you, just, you slap somebody, uh, and it gives you his fighting spirit. It's something that, I guess, kind of spur you on. It's something that's going to fill you full of power. It's going to wake you up. It's going to make you feel like Inoki feels, I guess. Uh, but... A lot of stars from around the world got slapped by Anoki. Uh, and there's one clip in particular that does the rounds that shows this tradition in action. Uh, it's New Year's Eve 2000. The IGF, the Anoki Genome Federation, presented Anoki Bomae at the Osaka Dome. Halfway through the show, after Naoya Ogawa beat Tadao Yasuda in under two minutes via TKO, a special ceremony then took place. Now, they held a transferring of the fighting spirit uh, ceremony, I guess. Uh, Antonio Noki just stood there in the ring, and everybody involved with the show—guests, stars, actors, uh, actors, sorry, refs—everybody kind of involved in and around it queued up. One by one, got in the ring, and he proceeded to just slap him as hard as he could, as hard as he could. <laughs> Clattered a man, woman, child. You all got clattered by no children, I don't think, but certainly men and women. Yeah, uh, got a clatter. I'd, I'd, I'd heard somewhere. I don't know how true it is, but I'd heard somewhere that if you like, if you saw him in the street and you were polite enough, and it was a good day, and the stars had aligned, and you asked, he might slap you as well. Oh, so what an honor that would be coming out of WH Smith. Yeah, but it's an honor that one person refused entirely. Now I get it because it's like you want you want to slap me in the face. No. But at the same time, I'd get slapped in the face by Antonio Inoki. I wouldn't blink. Yeah, it's uh, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar refused to have anything to do with it. So when he got wind yeah. of like this sort of this initiation of getting the fighting spirit of Inoki, yeah. he just said, "Right, before we do anything else, I don't want any of that." This I ain't also, getting slapped by anyone. <laughs> it also sort of links to uh, a story that Chris Jericho put into one of his books in which he's backstage uh, and Noki's there in the locker room. He goes up to this young boy, which is like a, a new star, a trainee star, I guess, on the rise in New Japan. Um, and he just stares him out. 
He just stares into his eyes and all of the boys kind of stand around watching. And this young boy gets hypnotized by Anoki and then Anoki proceeds to slap him as hard as he can. Now Jericho's apparently stood there the entire time confused by the whole thing until somebody leans over and is like, it, it's all a work. So he had the power not only to kind of get the public to go along with his works, but I don't know if it's out of fear. I don't know what, if it's out of respect, mm. uh, but but people would apparently just go along with this whole hypnotizing routine, even though, you know, they're, they're in the business too. <laughs> it's I think by this point, Anoki had such respect that like, I'm not going to challenge that. Yeah. If that's what's happening, Look, that's you, fine with me. If you're paying my check, and I, it's just one slap every now and then, I suppose. But... I mean, I would be a pro wrestler. So it's not like it, it desperate. Like, Go on, Adam, you can slap me as hard as you want. <laughs> Obviously, we've talked a lot about the, the wrestling career of Antonio Inoki, and there are mm. a few more notes that we are uh, yet to play. But of course, a big part of Antonio Inoki's life, of course, was his political career. Mm. Uh, back in 1989, he launched the Sports and Peace Party. Now, the ideology, according to Wikipedia to incorporate the spirit and sports into politics, realizing peace by maintaining the health body of all citizens. And there is incredible footage. All about fighting spirit, it's man. Fight, it's, it's, it's all about fighting spirit. It's his modus applying, operandi. But it, it's, it's, it's like his life message, I guess, is yeah. you, know, you can take that fighting spirit and that anger within you and you can turn it into something useful and you can turn it into something that's going to benefit, and you can take all the best qualities of things and then apply fighting spirit to it and make it even better. So it's it's a very big message that you'll see a lot through uh, through anything that he's sort of involved in. I love Inoki on the campaign trail. There's mm. video footage you can find online of this. Uh, uh, putting on, uh, you know, going jogging through Tokyo, putting on rex wrestling exhibitions in yeah. the middle of the city. There's a great video of him enziguring a mannequin's head <laughs> off and the head landing in the crowd to much fanfare. Yeah. Like he was, he, he had the charisma and the energy to uh, to really make a difference. And there's so many incidences throughout his career where he uses that political nows to really make a difference. Uh, I want to mention Collision in Korea. Mm -hmm. I think we have to mention Collision yes. in Korea because biggest wrestling show of all time. Mm -hmm. I know we're jumping around the timeline a bit, but biggest wrestling show of all time. And it was done as Inoki was attempting to be a, a goodwill ambassador towards North Korea almost. Yeah, Japan and Korea has a very complex, a very difficult history. And uh, there's still to this day uh, some stigma that goes with being a Korean citizen living in Japan. Uh, so it, it's, yeah, it, it's sort of something you'll see the Japanese government. They did it fairly recently, I believe, by trying to make a... Uh, a set of like half Japanese, half Korean, um, like pop acts and stuff mm. uh, and groups and stuff like that. So I, I think it's something that the government's always really tried to to bring the, the two countries together. Uh, and Anoki thought that he had a plan to do this with especially the North side, uh, who, you know, Japan uh, constantly at odds with uh, by going over there, by sort of reaching out to them and uh, weird. Uh, <laughs> he's back but yeah uh it's it sort of yeah it's a weird a, one it was a weird one but and it's and it's anoki uh making those inroads with north korea doing the thing that he does the best which is putting on a massive wrestling show yeah he went to wcw and said we would love some of your help with this and some of your talent with this and uh bischoff was like yeah we're up for this up for getting involved in this the anoki was set to main event the show it was going to be anoki versus hulk hogan mm. that was the initial plan massive main event for collision in korea hogan went no chance and stepped away from that one. What was it Eric Bischoff said? 
What's Hogan going to do coming out in North Korea? He can't be there with the flag. He can't be doing any of that. I am a real man. Uh, well, even his WCW theme. Like, it's America, man. Like, it's it's all America. <laughs> And it kind of, it's weird because we do the Coltolic Classic Nitro review on a Wednesday on the podcast feed. And on a Thursday on the podcast feed, rather. And I should know which day we put the podcast out. And, uh, and Hogan at this point is, is so against the idea of turning heel. Mm. It frightens him because he's like, I'm making all this money. And yep. that would be somewhere where he would ostensibly be a heel. But anyway, uh, Eric Bischoff on his podcast uh, has said, I might as well have asked him to row a boat to Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this led to Bischoff versus Ric Flair. Uh, that led to the main event. Uh, Sonny Ono, the WCW Bischoff consultant. versus Ric Flair. Oh, no, no, sorry, Bischoff. <laughs> so, I mean, that would have been the main event. Rick Flair I don't remember that at all. <laughs> Ric Flair versus Antonio Inoki. It was, normally, it was almost Bischoff versus the whole of North Korea. As mm. we discover, uh, watching Dark Side of the Ring, and you get all the stories from that of the, some of the wrestlers, like Hawk and Scott Norton falling out in lumps during the show. Hawk and Two Cod Scorpio falling out in lumps. We hear Scott Norton uh, apparently, allegedly, getting his phone yep. bugged while there and his room turned upside down. Uh, Eric Bischoff, who goes for a jog in the morning to the horror of people in North Korea as he describes everybody it. having to hand over their passports yeah. on entry to the country you know it's a very restrictive nation as as everybody knows uh, but it's just terrifying to hear the accounts firsthand especially at that time in North Korea having you know I, I believe this was just around the time of the famine or just before the famine uh, and it was a very uh a very strange political atmosphere even then for that country because we'd lost Kim Il-sung over there. Well, I say we. They'd lost Kim Il-sung and, and moved into Kim Jong-il uh, as, as the leader. Mm. Uh, and it was all that was going on whilst they were putting on this wrestling mm. show. It's a funny one, is Collision in Korea, to watch, like removing yourself from the, 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 the political side of it. Um, it is. It still remains as one of the the highest attended wrestling oh, yeah, show of think all time. I think they held it at, uh, is it Rungrado, uh, Mayday Stadium, I believe. I can't remember the full name, but it's got like a f massive long name. But that's where they hold the Arirang Games, which is, if you've ever seen the, the big sort of, um, not the parades, like the military parades where you see all of the you know stuff getting wheeled out. Uh, it's where you see like all of the massive, massive interpretive dance and, and there's like hundreds and hundreds of people running around. It, it's purposefully built to be this colossal, uh, almost intimidatingly large venue because it was sort of in a bit of a bid to get in on the Olympics and then eventually to stick it to the Olympics for excluding North Korea when it came to South Korea. <laughs> And and it's an and as you say it's an incredible venue. Yeah. But if you watch the show, it looks like it's in like the Gundarina in Cleveland. Like yeah, it's like it's weirdly shot. Yeah, it's it's very strangely shot. Uh, but at the same time, just the mass of humanity that's in there is unbelievable. I mean, they're not quite prepped for it, but it, it, there's just a lot of people. Uh, Antonio Inoki would have multiple conversations with some uh, of the more controversial leaders and dictators mm. around the world. Uh, one of those was Fidel Castro. Yes. And this led to possibly one of the strangest purchases a wrestler has ever made. Yeah, I mean, we ran down Ricky Dozan's purchases earlier, but they all kind of made sense, right? Yeah. In that economy that was potentially going to start, boom, getting all of that stuff off the ground, a nice holiday resort, making bank, making yeah. absolute bank. Uh, however, Anoki, 
He'd heard a rumour, right, that <laughs> this island that Fidel Castro was selling uh, had some treasure on it. And so he bought the island and he would often get people to try and come with him to go dig for treasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite quite simply that's it. He then renamed it to the Enoki Friendship Island, I believe. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's very like playfully childish that. Like, oh, there's treasure. Like, I love it. it. It sort of indicates like who he is as a person. I feel really well. It's yeah. There's a friendship island, and there's like there's a there's a chance for some shenanigans with some treasure but buried in it. If somebody was just like, "Hey, I've bought an island. Do you want to go be the Goonies for a weekend?" <laughs> like, yeah, of course. But it depends how often he was doing it. Because this is from the Ring of Hell book, where I know rocking up outside everybody's house in a helicopter. Come on, <laughs> you're under contract. Oh, hang on, a Noki's ringing me. Hello, mate. Um. I'm no, um, uh, what's happening? What do you mean? I'm, I might be free. What do you mean? What do you I'm mean? ill. Do I can't come. No, I don't have a shovel. <laughs> don't go, go dig the treasure. Um, Enoki and, uh, and North Korea. Enoki and Fidel Castro. Enoki and Saddam Hussein. Now, this one is, uh, this one, uh, you can't really describe it. it it's unbelievable. Well, we will try. So, it happened the same year that the Sports and Peace Party was set up. Uh, it was a, sorry, sorry, sorry. The same year that the Sports and Peace Party was set up, Inoki was elected into the House of Councillors in Japan, which gave him more political stroke. And it was happening at the time of the Gulf War breaking out. Saddam Hussein leading an Iraqi invasion on Kuwait. Now, reports said that Iraqi that Iraq had captured 141 Japanese citizens and were holding them hostage. And they were holding them, as they say, uh, as human shields. By yeah. that, they mean that they were holding them captive in sort of key locations uh, around Iraq to stop from the coalition from attacking those areas. Yeah. yeah. So Anoki, who was who was upset with this, the amount of non-movement of the coalition. Which, by the way, he apparently took his plan to them a couple of times and they were like, absolutely not, you madman. You're <laughs> yeah. not doing that. You're not doing it. You No, sit down. Somebody watch his door. Do not let him out of the building. He did it. Um, <laughs> Antonio Inoki went on an unofficial, unsanctioned mission uh, to uh, to Iraq to negotiate release of the he hostages. just he just rocked up to Iraq bought a plane ticket to Baghdad yeah just swanned up to Saddam's house probably and was like yo what a chat well he took a meeting <laughs> or you're, you're not a million miles off he took a meeting with Uday who was Saddam's yeah. son turned up with uh kim with a kimono for Saddam's daughter-in-law mm -hmm. and for the grandchildren I'm not even lying. Those they were cool at the time. I know, but like, who goes? Do you not remember like the nineties? They were everywhere. He bought, and they were way ahead of us. So when they were popular here, they'd been long popular over there. He bought Saddam Hussein's grandchildren those electronic dancing flowers. Yeah, you, they, they, you clap and it dances, and, and clap, it kind of it's, it's got sunglasses on. Just a Noki holding them as he walks into. <laughs> Uday Hussein's front room. I like the gifts. idea that he'd maybe have a procession carrying the gifts one by one, and there's just all these dancing flowers with all the footsteps. <laughs> but that was, you know what? It was, it, it, it led to several trips back and forth mm. uh, with gifts and good tidings and trying to sort of ease tensions. Coalition were livid. Mm. Margaret Thatcher had some strong things to say about what was I'm going sure on. I'm sure she did. I'm she, sure she, she did. But she had her own happy. strong things to say about what was happening in our country at the same time. Mm. And now a tribute act's doing the same thing. It's great, Yay! isn't it? Yay! Yeah. 
the coalition on the whole felt that the way that this was being dealt with by Enoki and the Japanese president wasn't appropriate to the way to deal with this particular issue. However, that opinion changed when Saddam Hussein, having these meetings back and forth with Enoki, went, okay, we'll release most of the Japanese hostages. Mm. And it's like, oh, maybe diplomacy somewhat works in this situation where we didn't think it would. Anyway, Anoki was like, nah, that ain't enough. I want all of them. There were yeah. still 41 hostages that they held on to. And Anoki went back and had another grand plan. It was here that he set up the World Peace Festival from Iraq. He took over to Iraq uh, Japanese musicians and rock stars, celebrities, sports athletes, wrestlers, and put on a show for the world to see. Uh, once again, imbuing those values of the Sports and Peace Party to say, look, we want to come together. And, and, and the families, he brought over with him the families of those that were still being held hostage yeah. and sat them around the front row. And you could see um, their, their emotional faces as the, as the show goes on. Anyway, this whole event goes on. The whole eyes of the world are on this. And there's no movement from, from Saddam Hussein's side. They get to the Saddam Hussein airport, and they are about to board their flight, having to go home with nothing. And Enoki is stopped and by by a consort and says, "Please stay a few more days because we'd like to talk further." And there's a, there's amazing footage of Enoki just embracing this guy with tears in his eyes. You very rarely see like Enoki that emotional because yeah. he realized what a breakthrough this was. And it was just a few days later that Saddam Hussein said, um, "We will free your final forty one hostages." And it was just a short while after that that they agreed to release all the international hostages. All the, all the foreigners that were being held hostage by Iraq by, the, by Iraq at that point were released shortly after this. And how did he get it done? Not by listening to rules, not by anything else. Dancing by, electronic flowers. Not even that, by sheer fighting spirit. Fighting spirit. That's it. Fighting <laughs> spirit. It's absolutely incredible to say, you know, it's, um, and and since then, he's continued to make independent in his lifetime. He continued to make independent trips to places like Pakistan, like North Korea. Which uh, during the, the height of the Taliban, he was he was trying to get talks with them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and it was and 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 this led to just like even even if the result wasn't what it was want, what it yeah. needed, it was worldwide respect for Enoki, who ended up on the stamps in North Korea. I believe he ended up on stamps in North Korea. The thing was, um, as these trips to North Korea continued, uh, there was sort of less political movement that came out of them, uh, and they went on for quite some time, and then. Sort of public opinion began to change on them uh, and found them to be a bit unsavory in the modern age for those trips to be continuing. But that doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, these trips have yielded, especially in the case of Iraq, uh, incredibly positive things. Mm. Let's end on uh, two more stories based on videos that you might have seen or pictures you might have seen <clears throat> since the passing of Inoki. Uh, you may have seen Inoki losing his mind ringside whilst Doc Gallows and Sylvester Turkai have yeah. a fight. <laughs> <laughs> this is so. Ace. This takes place in the IGF, which was, I believe, so. The thing with Inoki was he believed so strongly in the idea of MMA that. Uh, he eventually got New Japan to a position where you had wrestlers taking on actual MMA fighters in MMA contests. Now, quite a lot of the wrestlers had experience in other forms of martial arts, 
but I'd argue not to the level of some of the competitors they were facing. Mm. And then this led to some stars getting hurt. It led to stars uh, looking like fools. It ruined a lot of people's kind of strength uh, and how they, they you know were perceived by the audience. But IGF would go on regardless. It, it was a mission. He was going to blend everything together. It was going to be a type of show where you could turn up and see a kickboxing bout, a wrestling match, a shooto match, a boxer versus karate, like uh, karate technician or whatever. Karate technician. What do you call? <laughs> I, <laughs> I'll just say a boxer versus a judoka. There you go. Uh, <laughs> But it was this idea to bring all of these things into one, under one umbrella. And it, it, it while you kind of got to, you know, G it up a bit and be like, you know, yeah, yeah, go on, try and do it. It, it Ultimately, it's just such a far-reaching thing that when you turn up for it, it's sort of like, all right, what's next? Kickboxing. All right, how does kickboxing... Okay, I don't... I can't just sit and watch five different disciplines. This is kind of where the, the term enochism... Yeah, was born wasn't it? This yes. idea of these crossing of the streams that may not necessarily work as well as hopes, yeah. but you so, kind of got to love. I know Kizan starts off up here and it kind of goes <laughs> over time. Uh, but this was a match uh, that took place at IGF Genome 14, which was February the fifth, two thousand eleven. It's Keith Hansen versus the Predator, <laughs> aka Dot Gallows versus Sylvester Turkai. Uh, the match isn't memorable at all. Uh, there's nothing special happens between them. There's no big moment. There's no crazy, you know, uh, massive spot. There's nothing that happens wrestling-wise that that makes this so iconic. It's the fact that Anoki got really angry about the match. He did uh, not like it. So uh, Gallows was on the Total F and Marks podcast, and he talked about it, uh, and he said, I think I had a match like that with Sylvester Turkai in about 2011 in Japan for Antonio Anoki. So I'm not encouraging for people to go look it up. <laughs> we are. Uh, but like my first show in over there, I was like, F, I did great. I'm going to be the man over there. And then the next time I came, Sylvester had been out of the ring for about six months and not doing any training and getting very tired. And he's a great dude, but it was not our best showing. <laughs> and then you just start hearing shouts. So when you watch the video, you kind of sit rest hold into the corner, throw in some strikes, couple of holds, and then do throws. And it's just kind of basic fare. Uh, and then you just hear this shouting from the back of the room. It's just really angry shouting. And then the camera cuts over, really panicked, and it's Antonio Inoki. He's livid, and he's got a hard-set chair in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> banging it against the barricade. Uh, and he said, Antonio Inoki runs down through the crowd, and he's screaming at us at ringside. Pretty effing amazing, especially when you're a lifelong Japanese wrestling fan. And this is like my <laughs> second time in Japan. It was pretty traumatizing at the time. <laughs> If you watch the match, they go home pretty quickly when they realize that Enoki is there yes. screaming about how much he's not enjoying <laughs> this match. Enoki uh, was, uh, he had his own passion for wrestling that was undeniable. Mm. And uh, it's just one of those moments that unfortunately was captured on celluloid of Enoki going, this is rubbish, this yeah. is rubbish, stop it now. <laughs> but then again, it... It's awful. It, it like I'd be, you'd be so mortified. I imagine in the situation because oh, it's like, oh god, like this is, like you must be, yeah, as he said, traumatizing. You must have been like everything running through your head at once. Like what's going to happen? Mm. Uh, but at the same time, is it? It's kind of like quality control, I guess. It sucks that he doesn't think you're good or the match wasn't that good or whatever. But 
at the same time, he's publicly kind of going, I don't like it either to anybody that didn't like the match. So maybe it's <laughs> I, me. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I it's impossible to understand the man. <laughs> it's, one of, it's, it's one of them where, and I hope you appreciate, like if Tony Khan did that on Dynamite on Wednesday, we'd obviously chastise him for it. But it's an okay. I'd, I'd have a giggle if I'd Tony have, Khan did it. I mean, I'd have a giggle. <laughs> It's an okay. It is what it is. Uh, we will end with an entrance, and there is no one that makes a grander entrance like Antonio Inoki. Um, there was a Pride show where he dropped in via parachute. Uh, was it Pride? I, think, I thought it was Jungle Fight. No, no, there was a no. That's Jungle Fight had a very different entrance. It was oh, a Pride okay. FC show, right? Which featured him coming in on a parachute, which was uh, just phenomenal. But, I've not seen that. No. Oh my god. Yeah, parachuting in Oki. Oh. If, if he was, he thought he was more dangerous parachuting in Oki. Um, when uh, obviously when he retired, as, as as Sam said, like his love for the the mixed martial arts world and the the the, the mixed bag that is Enokiism, uh, saw him getting into MMA style endeavors, and this led to the birth of Jungle Fight, an MMA uh, house alongside Brazilian MMA star uh, Walid Ishmael. And now, ever the humanitarian, Enoki wanted a fighting company uh, where all the fighters insisted on planting a tree to fix the deforestation in the Amazon, which. It's a positive message yeah. everybody should get behind. It's a positive message. It I is. think that, you know, some trees over some additional McDonald's burgers would be great. I think that's a nice idea. Yeah. We can all take that away <laughs> with us. Uh, there's one particular moment in the history of Jungle Fight that Inoki is especially remembered for. Ever the man to make an entrance. And Tony Inoki had this idea. What if I were to swim to the event? See, I'd not even seen this. And I think it was, was it Alan Cheapshot on Twitter posted yes, it? You, and uh, I, I was blown away by it. Just the fact that there were two shots of it. I was like, what? Uh, but essentially, uh, Enoki is arriving. He, well, he wanted to make a spectacle as he arrived. Uh, and he wanted to arrive by boat. Uh, so he's going on up the Amazon River in a little boat. Uh, and he decided that the best way to maybe make his way across would be to swim across in full view of everybody else. Now, he just leaps into the water in his trunks uh, and... He just starts going for it, and everybody's <laughs> starting to shout, and he's like, "Yeah!" And he's swimming Thank along, you. I'm here. like waving, yeah. Uh, and apparently, they were shouting at him that the water was full of crocodiles and piranhas. <laughs> <laughs> he made it across without one of them even trying anything, probably because they took one look at him and went, "It's Antonio Inoki," and turned the other way. <laughs> and he emerged on the other side, absolutely fine. It blows my mind. <laughs> But yeah, I'd never heard of that. And then I saw that post. So yeah, thank you to Alan Cheapshot for oh, posting that. Just, I'd be terrified. Those poor crocodiles had no idea they were swimming with an Anoki. It's <laughs> awful. Uh, his humanitarian... Just get out of the water. Get out of there immediately. Uh, I, I said that was the last one. There's one I, I nearly forgot. His humanitarian efforts won't be forgotten as well. Mm. Uh, he was one that was was very much empowered community and spirit mm. and, 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 and coming together of people. Uh, he opened temporary soup kitchens and fed thousands of homeless people and unemployed people. People, uh, across Tokyo uh, during sort of the last uh, 10 years or so of his life. Uh, and he needed a, something to, to raise awareness to this. And uh, this was something that was that, that was introduced to me uh, only this morning. And, and it, it was me on the, the day of his passing as well. I had no idea. <laughs> I think it was that same thread, but yeah. In order to raise awareness of the homeless plight, uh, particularly in Tokyo, Antonio Noki would go out dressed as as if he was homeless, so like dressed in in in, in sort of worn down clothes and scruffy clothes, uh, bringing attention to the plight of the homeless. Because even in, even when dressed very much down and and 
bedraggled, Anoki stands out. And, yeah, and and it raises some questions. But it raised awareness. It allowed soup kitchens to to operate uh, more freely throughout the city. And I I, I think that he would fund uh, soup kitchens and he'd continue this endeavor throughout his life. I, I when I was looking through just for any more on the story, uh, there were things dated like 2013, 2007. Like so, it's happened a lot, uh, and it's clearly something that's close to his heart. And it would lead to, and, and again, something I did not know existed until this morning, a homeless Antonio Inoki action figure <laughs> where you can you can play with your favorite wrestler in homeless attire. I just, I love all of those old New Japan figures, but it, yeah. even then it is a bit bewildering because he's just in like a long overcoat and I think he's got like a walking stick or something. Uh, and it's just, it's just Inoki. It's weird that it was a figure, it's but so... I guess, you know, it's another thing that... that would raise awareness, uh, and, and I'd imagine maybe even you know proceeds might have gone toward helping his scheme. But uh, it it seems like uh, a, a, something as wild as that seems like a fitting place to uh, to wrap up today. Uh, we've just given you a a, t- a taste, yeah, of some of the wild times and stories from the life of Antonio Inoki. Um, he was there will be not there won't be another, will there? No, I don't. I don't think you know he's. People say this a lot about the, the you know, the, the World War II generation, um, but just built different. He just seemed to be so driven by his passion for pro wrestling and, and living up to, you know, the, the, the shadow of his mentor. And Baba was the same. Uh, you know, it, it's just a very unique set of circumstances that led to the creation of Antonio Inoki. And I think, you know, we may have stars that are of comparable size and skill, but there'll never be another person like him, and especially not a jawline like his. Like, I mean, come on. Come on. Here's, here's <laughs> with some of your favorite Antonio Inoki memories, matches, stories in the comments down there. Stay safe and love you. Bye. Exam! One, two, three, down! 50 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 